Well, I think it's really appropriate because today is a national holiday uh, commemorating uh, Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday. You know, I think uh, when historians write uh, the history of our era, uh, he will stick out as one of the, a, a truly great American. Um, you know, somebody who really called the United States uh, to its uh, greatest virtues, um, back to the, thing, the founding principles of the country. And he did it in a particularly eloquent and effective way. And, um, you know, and of course, tragically, uh, a lot of people reacted very negatively uh, to his witness. And, um, you know, he was eventually assassinated, which was, of course, a great tragedy. Uh, You know, I can just talk about this a little bit personally, things I've shared with my students. Uh, You know, I grew up in, uh, as a kid, and actually in Latin America. And uh, I remember listening to his I Have a Dream speech live on the Voice of America (laughs) as a kid in uh, in Lima, Peru. And then of course, uh, later, um, I you know, still lived abroad um, and before the tragic events of 1968. And, you know, this is an individual who really made a huge difference. And his um, legacy lives on. And, and I think um, it's entirely appropriate that uh, we have a national holiday remembering him. John, obviously, he led the charge for the civil rights movement in the 60s that Uh, got all the way to the White House with uh, President Lyndon Johnson. But as things went on with generations and you teaching political science, did you see the ripple effect of his words in the political arena as you got in to the 70s and 80s and opening up the doors for African-American leadership? You know, I certainly did. And it was really kind of interesting. Um, You know, when I came into the political science profession, uh, we were beginning to see the effects of the Civil Rights Revolution. We have many, many more colleagues who were African-American. Uh, at the same time, there was a big infusion of women in, into my discipline but where, and other, other minorities. But what's really interesting, though, is we began to see it among the student body. And um, that was particularly exciting, you know, teaching at the University of Akron and, and seeing the doors of opportunity at the educational level opened up to folks. You know, as with with all great legacies, uh, it's had different effects. You know, some people who originally opposed Dr. Martin Luther King's vision uh, have embraced it. And there are those who, who were strong supporters of civil rights who perhaps have gone a somewhat different way. And, you know, we're living in, in the aftermath of a big change, and the change isn't over yet. <laughs> I mean, we, we have to recognize that um, freedom and equality and fair treatment for everyone is not yet universal. But there's been such a dramatic change in, in you know, really my lifetime and the lifetime of many other people. And But there's further work to be done. So we need to remember the, the legacy and the success of the past because that paves the way for greater success in the future. Dr. John Green, professor of political science, University of Akron. Dr. Martin Luther King, as John mentioned, Born this day back in 1929. Unfortunately, the traffic events of the assassination in Atlanta in 1968 as we celebrate Dr. King Day today in the United States. John, it is Iowa Caucus Day in the state of Iowa. And this is still because we're in Ohio and we know we register to vote. We go vote on our polls and we turn it in. The caucuses are a little bit of a different thing. And one of them is you have to show up in person unless you get a special absentee for daycare or teaching or something. 
And that means people are going to be going through blizzard conditions, actually, in Iowa today to be part of the caucuses. But do an education with us. I think there's, what, three states in the country that do the caucuses style of voting. So educate us, if you don't mind. Well, you know, this is uh, something that used to be very, very common in the United States. It's the way that parties used to be organized. And to some extent, they still are. But we see in Iowa very much the historical pattern where the process of choosing nominees, people who will be on the ballot for the general election, begins with meetings at the local level. They're called caucuses. That's a Native American word meaning meeting. And so it starts out with these very local meetings at the precinct level. That's the geographic districts at the lowest level where people actually vote. And so in Iowa tonight, Republicans and Democrats will gather in people's kitchens and school gymnasiums and church basements uh, with the other people in their uh, precincts. And you have to be a registered Democrat or Republican to go to one of the party's caucuses. And then they'll deal with a whole bunch of things. Uh, One of the things is, of course, who the nominee for president might be. Uh, But they do other things. There's a lot of local politics. Um, One of the things they'll do is they'll pick delegates to the county conventions. And then the county conventions will pick delegates to the state convention. And then the state convention will finally pick the delegates uh, for the national uh, conventions, which will occur this summer, you know, where our major party presidential candidates are actually chosen. So these are meetings. This is not like a primary election or a general election where you go in and cast your ballot. Maybe you have to wait in line a little while. You have to actually go to this meeting. Representatives of the candidates will get up and make pitches for support for their candidates. And then at the end of the evening, the caucus members vote. For the Republicans, they're actually handed a blank sheet of paper and asked to write down the name of their preference for president and a nomination in their party. Um, over on the Democratic side, it's a little bit different. There's often a ballot where people can can check off, you know, their preference. So it's a really different kind of politics, and this is where weather matters. You know, people in Iowa are used to, to you know, severe weather in, in winters, <laughs> but people actually have to show up. You know, they have to go out on a cold winter night and then spend an hour or so with their neighbors. So. You know, a very, very cold, stormy night might um, affect who actually comes to those meetings. With us is Dr. John Green, professor of political science at the University of Akron. Well, John, many people are saying pertaining to the polls in Iowa, these caucuses, that uh, the former president, Donald Trump, is the overwhelming favorite here to, to get those votes out in Iowa. I think what is important here to see where the number two name falls leading to the rest of what we're going to see soon in New Hampshire and beyond. It seems like Nikki Haley's name is starting to become more and more of a factor or not. And that's where I wanted you to go with this follow-up question there, John. Obviously, it looks like President Trump there, but number two looks like Haley is gaining the steam. No, that's really very important. All the polls in Iowa, and in fact, most of the polls nationwide and in other states, uh, show former President Donald Trump with a commanding lead among Republicans. He also has some strong opposition, of course, among Democrats and, and some independents. Um, and so, you know, if, we, if the polls turned out to be accurate, then he's likely to win tonight and then go on to eventually win other primaries and caucuses and, and become the Republican nominee for president. 
But your point's very well taken. There are other candidates. And if you look back historically, the person that wins Iowa gets some benefits, but the number two and sometimes number three person coming out of Iowa matters as well. So a lot of the focus on what happens tonight on the Republican side will be, well, who's number two and who's number three? Now, why does this matter? Someone who finishes number two is going to get a lot of national attention, and that can influence the next event, the New Hampshire primary, which could influence subsequent primaries all the way through through June. So, you know, there is a process here. And even though Donald Trump appears to have a commanding lead, we know from history that there have been situations where front runners way ahead in the polls saw that status erode because there was a second or third place finisher who was able to turn it into a competitive race as the process went forward. So, you know, whether it's Governor Haley or uh, Governor DeSantis um, really does matter for second and third place. John, let me ask you this, and you have studied, as you mentioned, political science for the better part of the last 50-plus years. To look at Donald Trump, and certainly his name has been out there the last year. There's a number of court proceedings that are still yet to come. There's uh, trials. There's appeals going on as we speak. And many uh, scrupulous allegations, as a matter of fact. But none of this seems to be slowing down those loyal to Donald Trump. And this seems to be unprecedented to me. You obviously see this much broader and much more in focus than maybe I do for sure. So take a look at this situation. As you mentioned, very much favored Iowa caucuses and beyond. What is the biggest lure or the key towards the voters on their attraction to Donald Trump? Well, it really is unprecedented in my lifetime. I think if, you know, if we looked hard enough and far enough, you know, we might find uh, something similar you know, in the distant past. Uh, you know, there really is nothing new under the sun, <laughs> as people like to say. But at least in my lifetime, I've never seen anything quite like this. Donald Trump is is unique. And, you know, if we're going into uh, this election, um, you know, it's been very, very rare that someone who has served as president and been defeated has even run for another term, let alone, you know, having a, a real prospect of, of winning a nomination and maybe winning the general election. I think, though, that Trump's support can be divided up into different categories. He really does have a strong core set of supporters that really believe in him. And some of his problems don't bother those people because they've concluded that that he's the best option. But if you look at the polls, there's some other groups that are supporting him. One of the reasons he's so far ahead is these other groups. One group of people, or people have some real doubts about uh, Donald Trump, whether they're independents or, or Republicans, but they're offended by what they perceive, rightly or wrongly, as the politicizing of the judiciary, that uh, many of the uh, lawsuits and things that Donald Trump is facing are, are purely political. Now, one can disagree with that. I think it's a little bit more complicated, but this group of people see it that way, and every time Trump is in court, we see those people's views of Trump harden because they don't like what's going on in the country generally. And then there are another group of people who are backing Trump, maybe with not thinking too much about it, because they're not very happy with the state of the economy or the state of foreign policy, and they worry about President Biden's age 
And those sorts of people, that, that support's really soft. That third group, those are the ones that might change as the result of what happens in Iowa. John, uh, on the other side, and you and I were talking about number two in Iowa, we're really starting to hear more and more about Nikki Haley on the positive side and then Governor DeSantis out of Florida more and more on the dropping side of things. Talk a little bit about those two candidates and how the perception of these two has really changed in the last couple of months. Well, this is a lot of what campaigns are about. And, of course, uh, Governor Haley and Governor DeSantis and a bunch of other people have been busy campaigning for most of the last year if not before. And, um, you know, one of the things you try to do in a campaign is to accentuate your positives and uh, maybe contribute to accentuating the negatives of of your opponents. And, um, you know, coming out of 2022, a midterm election that was somewhat disappointing for the Republicans, uh, Governor DeSantis in Florida was a real bright spot. And um, he's very popular in his home state. And he seemed to be uh, kind of a more experienced version of Donald Trump. And so a lot of people thought, you know, maybe he's the guy that would be able to beat Trump in the primaries. And, you know, he's had, he's had his troubles. And, and he's um, really pushed hard in Iowa. But, um, you know, his uh, stars faded a bit in, in recent weeks. Uh, Governor Haley's really gone the other way. Most people have not heard of her. And yet she's been able to talk about her experience in foreign policy, serving, interesting enough, in the Trump administration, but also her work as governor of South Carolina. And, you know, the fact that uh, she's a woman, I think, uh, matters to a lot of people um, in the Republican Party as well as as among independents. And, you know, some of this is probably luck, uh, but uh, some of this, I think, was really good campaigning. Um, You know, DeSantis put a lot of emphasis on Iowa, Haley's competing in Iowa, but her real emphasis is on New Hampshire. Um, so if she were to, say, finish second tonight, that would really set her up, perhaps, to do even better in New Hampshire. 